Inside of all that matters Blinded by questions I can't answer I'm paralyzed by what I don't know Doubt holds me hostage and won't let go
morning, church, would you please rise for our first song? many advantages of having a senior pastor in the front row. <laughs> Give you directions. Well, good morning, church. So a text this morning, I'm going to read it and then just a couple words of explanation about this text out of Romans and the sermon text, which is coming up in Genesis 25. So here's what Romans 9, 10 through 18 says. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, 
our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 25, which is coming up later, is also the word of the Lord. And you will hear in the, in the sermon text names that are here. You will hear Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau. And you will hear about how God is sovereign in his choices. And Paul would have had, of course, his scripture would have been the Torah. So he would know the passage in Genesis. And he goes back to that passage to help him unpack the question he asks in here. Is there injustice on God's part? No, there isn't. And he will spend Romans 9, 10, and 11 answering that question. And he gets at it that God remains faithful to his own ways, his own purposes, and his own promises. And it depends on God and his sovereignty, not on what we do. It can sometimes be a hard concept to get our heads around. But I hope that in this passage and later in Jim, Jim's sermon, this will resonate with you. You may be seated. Let us go to God in prayers. If you would please bow your heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for that word that Randy just read to us. Lord, we know that uh, sometimes we, uh, we just don't turn to you enough and we just don't uh, to look to you for guidance. And Lord, we, we know that we fail at that and that we're sinners. And Lord, we thank you so much for all the providence you give us, for the opportunities to redeem ourselves and for your great love. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.
Boys and girls, come on up front. It is time for the kids' message. So come on up here. I've got some gold coins. <laughs> but they're not real gold coins. They're chocolate coins that are covered in gold foil. But I want everybody to have one, all right? So do you want to take one? There's one for you. Here you go. And don't eat it yet. You've got to wait and make sure your parents say it's okay. All right. But first, I'm going to give you a chance to win another coin. All right. But in the chance to win another coin, you could lose your coin. All right. So who wants a chance to try to win another coin? You do? All right. Come on up, William. You can stand on up here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a coin right here, and I'm going to put three cups down, and then I'm going to mix the coin, the cups up, and so you watch the cup with the, the coin under, all right? And then when I'm done mixing them up, you have to guess which one the coin's under. Does that work? Okay. You ready? Here we go. Now I'm getting kind of mixed up. Let's see. All right, now, you put your coin in front of the cup that you think has the other coin underneath it. All right? Which one do you think has the, the coin underneath it now? You don't know? Do you want to try it or not? Yeah, I don't know which one it is either. I got all mixed up. 
Do you want to take a guess? Yeah? Okay, which one do you think? You think it's that one? Oh, it's not. And it's not. The, it's that one. I knew that was the one. You knew that was the one? So do you want to give me your coin? Okay, thank you. And I'll keep this one too. All right. It's, you're going to share? That is so nice of you, Elsie. All right. Does anybody else want to try? You want to try? Come on up. All right. You see where the coin is? All right. You ready? Whoa, Bob knocked one over. You think it's you think it's that one? Oh, you got it. Now you got two coins. Good job. Now I got to grab another coin. Does anybody else want to try? You want to try? Okay, come on up. All right. Are you ready? I think you guys might be better at this game than I am. Uh-oh, they're just slid out from underneath. You didn't see that, did you? Did you see that? Uh-oh. Now my Oh, there it went again. Uh-oh. You can tell I've never done this before, and I'm not very good at it. You think I am? Because I got your coin, didn't I? You think it's this one? Oh, my goodness. Good job. And we've got time for one more. One more person? All right, Elsie, come on up. i got to get another coin now because I lost mine. This is not how this game is supposed to go. All right. She's super duper smart. I'm not going to trick her. You think she's going to find the right one? Well, let's see. We will see if she finds the right one. Oh, my goodness. I know Elsie's smart. This is going to be true. Oh, Let's try this again, because I just lost the coin. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Which one has that one? Good job. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? She put it on your face. This game was supposed to trick you guys so that you lost your coins and I got more coins, but I'm out of coins. And who has more coins? You have more coins? You have more? Oh, my goodness. And William? Hey, William, how did it feel to lose your coin? Bad? Yeah. You have a, I see you have a coin in your hand. What happened? Who, who gave that to you? I didn't give it to you. Did your sister give it to you? Actually, I did. You did? Actually, Elsie. Elsie did? Yeah. That was very nice of you to share. Well, you know what? People have been trying to trick other people for a long, long time. Because we live in a world that's sinful and people try to trick each other and take advantage of each other. And you know what? That's what we're going to see in our story today of Jacob and Esau. These were two brothers that didn't get along. 
And Jacob tricked Esau to get his money, to get his blessing, to get his inheritance. And how do you think Esau felt when he was tricked? And bad, yeah, bad, sad. Have you ever been tricked? Yeah? It doesn't feel good, does it? Yeah. Well, you know what? There was a son who came from this family of tricksters that wasn't a trickster. This son, Jesus' only son, or God's only son, Jesus came from this family not to trick us or to take stuff from us, but to bless us. So he didn't, the only thing he took from us was the sin that we have, the punishment that we deserved so that he could freely give to us blessing, life, his inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That Jesus would do that for us. So we can be thankful that Jesus didn't come to trick us, but he came to save us, didn't he? Will you pray with me? We'll fold our hands and you can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us, for not tricking us, but for loving us so much. Amen. All right, boys and girls, you can head on back to your seats. And everybody has a coin, right? All right. Good job. And it's my chance to say good morning to all of you. Glad that you're here in worship celebrating this Jesus who did everything necessary so we can have life. I want to welcome especially our guests. We're delighted that you're with us in worship. We want you to come on back. We'd love to have you back. So uh, if we could get to meet you. There's a couple ways to do it. You could stop at Next Steps, which is in family gathering area. That would be great. Or if you want to text uh, 1C guest to 94,000, that would get uh, us connected and maybe you might have some questions that you have. Uh, regarding worship today, we have a couple elements that just want to give you a heads up so that you're prepared for. Example, we, we solicit prayers from you that we will include in worship today. And you can do that, again, by texting that to 402-242-5051. It gets to us in a digital way, and then we include those in worship. We're also going to have communion today. And we celebrate the fact that this is a gift that God has given to his people. Bread, wine, body, and blood for the forgiveness of sin. So if that's what you believe, we invite you and encourage you to come and celebrate and in fact, right before communion, you'll see a slide up there that just really talks about what we believe regarding this precious meal. Uh, one announcement to make, uh, we're going to be having a backpack blessing that is going to take place on August 13th at both services. And how that's going to work is we will invite you to come forward. And I'm going to just say this, uh, Greg, we didn't talk about it, but if you are a student at any level, we'd love for you to come forward. Even if you're going heading off to, to college or something like that, we would love to have you come forward. We want to pray for you and ask God's blessing. And then right after that, we're going to ask anyone who's in, involved in school, in any capacity, teachers, staff, anybody, and we're going to have you stand, and we want to pray for you as you embark on another year of opportunity to bless other people. So uh, that's coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, also, we're going to be passing what's called the joy basket, and the idea behind the joy basket is this. Every one of us here have been blessed by God in all different ways. 
And he wants us to say thank you in return. Now, how do we do that? Well, we sang some songs. That's a beautiful way to do it. Offer that up to God. Uh, you can serve. Use your gifts, abilities, your talents. You can also, also, also give of your tithes and offerings. And here at 1C, we don't tell you what to do, but we encourage you to pray. Ask the Lord to lead and guide you in how to say thank you. So that's it for announcements. We're going to continue to worship our God, and uh, may we all be blessed together.
I hope and I pray that our applause is all about that message. Hallelujah, he reigns. He reigns supreme in your life, in my life, today, tomorrow, and forever. That's just who he is. And now as we kind of shift gears and we start focusing in on a beautiful gift that God has given, the gift of Holy Communion. God asks people like you and me to examine ourselves, to, in other words, get honest with him and with each other about our struggle, our sin, and our need for his mercy and grace. So you'll find up on the screen a prayer, and I would like to encourage you to pray this together with me as we, before, as we go before our God. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. And it is exactly what we prayed. For the sake of Jesus Christ, and because of Jesus Christ, sins are forgiven. Your sins, my sins. God takes those sins and he removes them. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. And we are told that he will remember those sins no more. I pray that that gives you a peace. A peace that the world cannot give. Now our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper and after he'd given thanks... He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament of my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. We continue now with the celebration of the Lord's Supper.
Bible, we're told to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's just what happened. Now may this true body and blood of Jesus strengthen you and empower you for life, for ministry, for mission, all for the glory of God. Go in his name and in his love. Amen. Jesus, we come to you in prayer this morning. Grateful, first of all, that you have made it possible for us to approach the throne of mercy and grace, the throne of compassion, where you are there and you welcome our prayers. And even sometimes when our words aren't adequate, you still know, you, you know how to just look into our hearts and answer the prayers that we bring you. So this morning, hear us as we pray for our friends in, in, in this 1C fellowship, and for our friends in the community. Lord, this is a prayer for my friends and all their lapses and losses these last few weeks. 
Wrap your arms around them. Help them to find peace. There's a prayer. Let's come in for, for Brittany. In uh, Kansas City, they've had a, their truck was stolen, a trailer was stolen, their recreational vehicle was stolen. It, it, again, just lost. And we just want to pray for them that you'll sustain them and help them to walk through this particular trial. And Jesus, a prayer of thanksgiving and praise, praising you for Grayson and Macy, for their love for each other and for you. Please continue to bless their relationship, their engagement, and their life together. These are the things that we lay before your feet. And then we close appropriately with that prayer that you gave to your disciples and on down to us right here this morning, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I think it was about uh, midnight that uh, you get this little like light bulb thing going on. That's usually not good at midnight, but um, I did. Because I was thinking about the sermon for today, and honestly, as we've been going through Genesis, Oh my goodness, even just this one topic of Jacob and Esau, we could preach 10 weeks on it because there is so much going on. And I was tempted to go like 45, 50 minutes and preach really long, but that probably wouldn't fit into your schedule. So what I want to do is I'm going to share with you a theological premise. This is the one thing I want you to remember, then I'm going to blow through everything and get to this idea of birthright, and I want you to understand what that means for us today, birthright. But I'm going to give you a theological premise, and I believe this theological pre premise, when you understand it, when you receive it, when you comprehend it, it will change your perspective, it will rock your world, it will be the wind beneath your wings, whatever phrase you would like to have. It will move you from the chairs you're sitting in out into the world. So here is the theological premise or theological truth. God's grace is greater than any and all sin. Would you read that out loud together with me? Maybe you don't believe that yet because maybe you're in the middle of a struggle and you're like, wow, sin is really big. But when we're done, I'm praying that God's spirit will kind of rearrange your thinking and that you will hold on to this truth for dear life because it gives you dear life. So would you read this out loud together with me? God's grace is greater than any and all sin. I think I got 60% of you to read that out loud together with me. So we're going to bump it up to maybe 90% because there's 10% of you that will never read anything out loud in a group setting. So I'm going to have grace for you, but I want to encourage you to step out of your comfort zone and do something like wild, like read this truth out loud. Ready? God's grace is greater than any and all sin. 
Now, we've seen this truth as we've been walking through the book of Genesis. This is week number nine. And I don't know how you're feeling, but the more I'm going through this, the more I'm like, I need to be reminded of this. This idea of God's grace being woven through everything from creation to the fall, through Cain and Abel, from Noah to Abraham to the Tower of Babel to Sodom and Gomorrah to Isaac, and now we're getting to Jacob and Esau. You see, God's grace have been woven through all of that. And so I, I, I did grab a, a family tree because I, I, I think family trees are kind of cool, right? Like if you ever come into my office and we, um, um, I do some kind of coaching or counseling with you, I will do what's called a genogram. And a genogram is a family tree with emotional stuff that's connected because I want to get to know because your family tree affects who you are. So here is an example of the lineage from Abraham to Jesus. And again, Jesus is life, right? So you can just watch and kind of flow and see where we are. We're on our way. We're going to be seeing more. But there is so much God's grace that is weaving through the storyline. But there's also some yuck. And we bumped into it. Maybe you've read it yourself. You've seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. Um, I think it was 30 years ago, I did a Bible study on and this sounds really exciting. You're probably wishing I would do it again. It's called the dysfunctional family. And it's like, wow. This idea, dysfunctional family, is not just, quote, the Thielen family and our dysfunction. This thing called dysfunctional family goes way back. So I couldn't find that Bible study because that was kind of before I would keep things digitally. And, uh, but I did come up with a, a little list. I'm just going to plow through it quickly. And I'm going to say, as I'm reading this, you're going to feel the sense of heaviness. Because this is sin at, at its best or worst, and depending on how you have it. The first recorded husband and wife disobey God. Their firstborn commits murder. Sarah's grief over infertility moves her to give her servant Hagar to Abraham, her husband, as a concubine to bear a surrogate child. Lot, reluctant to leave a sexually perverse Sodom, his home, has to be dragged out by angels, and then weeks later, the daughters seduce him. Isaac and Rebekah play favorites with their twin boys. Um, Esau has no discernment. He sells his birthright for soup, and we're going to get into that, talk about that. I mean, who would ever do that? It seems so dysfunctional, all right? Uh, grieves his parents uh, by marrying a Canaanite woman. Um, then he nurses a 20-year-old murderous grudge against his conniving younger brother. Jacob manipulates and deceives his brother out of the birthright and blessing. Uncle Laban deceives uh, nephew Jacob by somehow smuggling Leah as Jacob's bride. I mean, I could go on here, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and I, I would imagine that if you keep hearing this, you're like, oh, man. Oh. Oh. That's why, would you please read this again out loud? Because I want this to be really the prominent theme. Because we could talk about this dysfunctional thing all day long. We see it all day long. But this truth is what will change your world. It will empower you, embolden you to live. So would you say this out loud, and let's get to the 95% level of people. Ready? God's grace is greater than any and all sin. 
All right, now if it's still in the head and hasn't dropped to the heart, I'm praying that God's spirit will move it down. All right, I have a pastor friend of mine that would say 18 inches is the longest distance ever because it goes from the head to the heart. And when it gets to the heart, things start changing. So hold on to that truth. God's grace is greater than any and all sin. All right. I am going to give you a flyover of the story of Jacob and Esau. Just walk you through the text, Genesis 25. Um, it's a story. It, 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 it's a kind of an interesting story, right? A made-for-TV kind of movie kind of story. It's got all these moving pieces to it. Um, so let's go right away into Genesis chapter 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And let me just stop there. And I'm going to give you a little running commentary of the text. I think it's beautiful that Isaac has a heart for his wife. That he sees what's on her heart and this battle and struggle to have a child and it's not happening. So he does something so important that I hope we would learn. That we go to our Heavenly Father with every situation. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. We should be going to him. And then uh, follows, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled. You can read different versions of, of this. This is the NIV. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? A little commentary on that. It shows a little bit of what's going on in her world. What's her number one concern? Herself. Not these twins. So you see a little bit of the struggle and the self-centeredness that comes to all of us. So she went to inquire of the Lord. That is the right place to go. When things are out of whack, when there's a concern and, and or a worry, we see this beautiful movement where she goes to the Lord. And then verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And as we find out in the storyline, it's Jacob and Esau, all right? And Esau should have this birthright and should be number one, but doesn't end up that way. And, and she gets a little inside information of what's going to happen in history. And so here's a map for you. And if you see Israel, which is, you know, where Jacob settled, and then you get down to where Esau went to Edom, um, to this day, there is tension. To this day, there is rivalry. See how powerful that can be? Two people, and yet it ends up being two nations. That's what sin can do. It can wreck a nation when sin goes rampant. All right, uh, 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Harry. I mean, Esau. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Harry, Harry. I mean, living up to his name. All right, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Can you picture that? <clears throat> so he was named Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So while they were having a hard time giving birth, they, um, God's favor was upon them a little bit better than what happened to dad, right? Dad was 100, and now he's 60, so somehow it's getting a little bit better. But now we get to this verse, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, why? Um, in the Thielen household, um, some of you know we have a boatload of kids, and my wife Kristen has this, we'll say tradition. If she is with one of the kids and one of the kids alone, she will tell them, you are my favorite. It's just what she does. You know, and you could fill in the blank. You are my favorite because you're with me right now. Um, but again, she loves all of her kids. But we're, we're seeing here something is going on between Isaac and Esau and Rebecca and Jacob. Now, some will sit back and say, all right, you know, Isaac is really like, liking Esau because he's a man's man. Hunter. Huh? And then Jacob, it says he's in the tent. He's like hanging around home. And so... Maybe that's what was going on, and we don't really understand all of it, but there was this little favoritism happening in the family. Now we get to the issue. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Who would ever sell or give up their birthright? And if we go back to the time when we confessed our sins before we had communion, all of us, and I'm going to get into this idea of what is the birthright, what does that mean for us today, but I'm going to first kind of get into this idea of how do we, how do we sell our birthright? How do we sometimes forget who we are because of Jesus and we start living life in a way that is not pleasing to him? That is all of our journey. So that's why the dysfunction title is on me and it's on you. It's on all of us. Sin causes us to be dysfunctional, which means we are not doing what God has called us to do. So let me walk you through um, a couple of the ways in which I identify with maybe selling my birthright, and maybe you would get there too. All right, the first one. Allowing ourselves to become discouraged and without hope in God's ability to mend the broken pieces of our lives. While I could say very clearly, I hear this in my office a lot when I counsel and coach people, but I also want you to know there are times I look in the mirror 
and this is my reality. There are times that I feel discouraged. There are times I'm feeling as if hope has kind of left the room a little bit. And I need, need, need to be reminded, maybe a very familiar verse for you, God saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So when that moment comes, notice how he said when, not if. When, when that comes to you knocking on the door saying, you know what, forget your birthright, forget who you are in Christ, be discouraged, lose hope, because just look at this world. Go back to God's word. Consider what he has to say. God says, I have plans for who? You and me and all of us. He is up 24-7 thinking about you and me and has dreams and wishes and hopes. But at the same time, the enemy is up and very vigilant, trying to discourage and create dismay in our life. So, remember God's word. Second way in which we can maybe sell our birthright is trying to please other people rather than trying to please God. As you've heard me say in this room many times, one of my many issues is I am a people pleaser. They will say that that kind of goes with being a pastor. You know, often you want to please people. And it gets me in trouble very often in many different ways. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you are so moved by what other people think of you that you compromise your values, or namely, God's values. So Romans chapter 12, Paul nails this clearly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when those moments come where, you know, it's like, well, I just want this person to really like me, consider the will of God first and foremost. And I'll just tell you all the different people that we've talked about so far in the book of Genesis, they, like us, we sometimes forget what is the will of God, and they kind of go off their, you know, onto their own beaten path. Another one that I find very familiar is worrying about the future. Let me ask you this uh, question, and you can raise your hand if you'd like. How many of you have ever worried about something that you have no control over? I mean, statistics say that about 80% of the things that we worry about, we have zero control over. And I'm like, why do we waste our time? It's called sin. kind of comes and creeps in gets our attention, moves us away from looking to God and re being reminded of what we, we find in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trusting in him. Even when we don't see, right, and, and kind of goes to the great uh, Hebrews passage, right, Faith is not about seeing. Faith is believing even when you don't see. Let me say that again. I want you to let it sink in because I struggle with this. Faith is not about seeing. Faith is about believing 
even when you don't see it. And as we walk through the book of Genesis, and I want you to know you're part of the story. Um, two weeks ago, I reminded you of what's called the meta-narrative. And the meta-narrative is this. There is a great and glorious God who is moving from the very beginning of time, which we cannot comprehend. And I'm not talking about the creation of the world. But he's moving, and he's going to go all the way through time forever and ever and ever. And he is always at work, even if we don't see it. And he invites us to step in and experience who he is. And I think Proverbs should use the word trust. Step in and trust God as he is doing his thing, even if you don't see what he's doing. All right, then living in fear rather than enjoying God's blessings. Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. All things. All right, I'm going to just uh, put this slide up here. Um, we're seeing something take place in the scriptures. Um, there is this tradition, and I won't give you the big, long, hairy word for this, but there is a tradition in a, in a culture thing back at the time in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. And it's this. The firstborn gets everything. That's just the way it works. So this whole birthright thing, it, it is supposed to go to Esau. That's just the way it's supposed to work. But we see it didn't happen there by God's design. As he is weaving through the golden thread of his promise and his grace and his mercy, he's going to work through this strange thing of Jacob and Esau and this selling of a birthright and he's going to keep his promise intact even if it means going against the culture and the tradition of the firstborn. Now we see that even with Joseph, right? Joseph in the Old Testament is the youngest and yet God is going to use him in a very powerful way for God's people. Or how about the story of David? You remember when Samuel was going to do his thing and look for the next king. Uh, Jesse, David's father, is actually parading all his other sons in front of them because David is the runt of the family. He's the last one you would think that God would ever want to use. So he's parading all of these, and he's going like, no, this is not it. Because God told Samuel that he was going to tell him who's going to be the king. And as he looked at the ones that were paraded, it's not what God wants to do. Isn't it amazing how God just, he, he does some ridiculous things. And that's why I even put the name Jesus in this list. Because it's not the way I would plan salvation. I don't think I would have, quote, the son of God being born in Bethlehem by this young couple that they, their, you know, their pedigree isn't like great, so to speak. And that God says, I'm going to do this. That's why I found um, Paul speaking to this concept in 1 Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is your birthright. This is it. God choosing you. Not us choosing him. He starts the process and says, I love you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull all stops out. I'm going to send my son. He's going to do the unthinkable. He's going to give his very life. And I'm going to do that because you are the object of my love. You see, our birthright is because of God's adoption. Not because of our, what we've done or who our parents or grandparents are. Our birthright that is eternal, our birthright that is spiritual, is something that Jesus has done for us. And Paul says, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. So, this time I'm going to have you do two things. You're going to stand, so you're going to be standing and saying this at the same time. I know I'm increasing the amount of expectation, but I want you to stand, if you would. And this is now an opportunity. It's not just reading. I want you to proclaim this truth so that the people around you will know that this is what you believe, that it's right here. Okay? So let's say this together. God's grace is greater than any and all sin. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Treasures and
So many people trying to fill a void inside. So many questions asking how, asking why. I might not have all the answers, but I've tasted and I've seen. There's a better path for Jesus. There's no going back for me. Looking out my window, feeling the crescendo, sunset on a quiet sea. Sitting with the ones that I'll forever love, we're waiting on a flash of green. And even when the nights got cold, you've always held me close. You're the only rock that I could ever stand on, you're the only one for me. The sun goes up, the sun comes down, this whole world. 
Stay.